For many Pacific Islanders, rugby is more than just a sport. It's a religion to some, a pathway to a better life for others, bringing joy, money and a sense of identity. But as we approach the start of the Super Rugby Pacific 2023 season, a new podcast, Fair Game, is looking at what Pacific countries are up against when it comes to the powerful forces that run the game. For instance, the Rugby World Cup in 2019 saw 11 out of the 20 teams fielding players of Pacific heritage. That's more than 20% of those taking part in that competition. And yet, as Fair Game host and comedian James Nokise tells me, those nations had less than 4% representation when it came to making the big decisions affecting their teams. Well, it's the, the, the concept is um, that the Pacific nations are not necessarily deliberately, um, but are disadvantaged by the current system that is in place within world rugby. So we wanted to look at the realities that Samoa, Donga, Fiji are all facing, present those to our audiences, uh, and also look at um, how they have got into that position as well. And, and whether it is structural racism um, that is in place and which is um, holding Pacific nations back from you know, achieving their potential on the world stage. Star-studded lineup with guests um, from rugby from the past through to now. Tell us a bit about the episodes that are already already out and who, who you've spoken to. Well, uh, episode one, so that we get the heavy hitters, we've got Sir Brian Williams, uh, you know, talking to us as um, both the you know the patron of Moana Pacifica and and also the, just a legend in, in his own right. He's he's really lived the experience. He's he's kicked down a lot of the doors. Um, but then we also go we go all the way up the chain. We talk to uh, Sir Bill Beaumont. Um, freshly, well, we talked to him before he's been made a Samoan chief. You know, our Samoans, man, we'll, we'll chief anyone. And, uh, <laughs> and so we uh, attacked him, and um, it was very insightful because he didn't shy away from the questions that we had. And I, I think he comes from, uh, even though he's got a knighthood, he comes from a, a traditionally a working class background in the UK, um, you know, and, and people over there and, and that kind of situation aren't so far from people over here in that situation and so it's one thing to sit in your lounge sit in your garage and go you know what i reckon this is because of this and it's because of this it's another thing to be sitting there talking to the chairman of world rugby and say is it because of this is it because of that and them to go yeah it is a little bit and this is what we've seen and this is what we're trying to do and then be able to push back and go well what about what's happening here you know I think the key thing we tried to show was the the levers of power and where that power resides. Um, you've got um, um, a wonderful uh, former colleague, Tali Anderson, on, on a women's episode as well. Uh, how important is that conversation? Oh, Tali is a, a brilliant journalist. Uh, we're really lucky to work with her. And uh, very important to have her voice leading that because the last thing you want when you're talking about women's rugby is is men talking about it. Um, but also, I, I think in this, in 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 its own way, with the, in, in the not just the Pacific thing, but in a lot of cultures, having her lead the interviews as well, you know, and, and there's a joy um, in in a lot of the talks, there's an openness uh, and a vulnerability from the people that she was able to talk to, and, and very important people in the women's game who are not household names, um, but should be, and, and the way that they were opening up to her. I think there's a lot of, there's actually quite a bit of crying in that episode. And 
All I would say to that is that I think the men would also cry. There's a bit more swearing in the men's episode, but I think the men would cry if it was built into our culture, Pacifica culture, for men to cry publicly. Then I think they would cry at the frustration of the situations too. You mentioned joy as well as all the struggle. These these are gods among men within our communities. Talk, talk us through a bit of the the celebrations of those doors you mentioned them kicking down. Well, I, I think one of the things that comes through uh, from talking to people about their experiences, and this this might seem a strange thing for a Pacifica audience to hear, but it is the love from non-Pacific audiences. So, you know, players who've played in the UK, the UK players love them. You know, the UK fans love them, but they don't know where they're coming from, you know. And when they get to put on their jersey and play for their country, there's no money there. You know, you, you don't you don't make the kind of money you'd make. So they don't do it for that. They do it for their family to see them wearing that jersey. They do it to hear the national anthem, to, to sing those words, you know, and, and to compete for the pride of their nation. And other teams do that as well. But they have the financial backing, the infrastructure, the technology to put them at a level that Pacific nations just aren't able sometimes for their own economy you know, Tonga gets devastated by a volcano. How is their economy meant to help their rugby team when they are facing that kind of issue? So what if we want to see Tongan rugby in the world, and it's brilliant rugby and it's brilliant players, what needs to be done to help them when they're in such a dire situation? And even what these players have to go through to even be allowed to play for their countries. Talk, talk us through through some of those stories as well well like i said there's no there's not much money i don't want to pretend there's no money you know but there's not some of these players they have to pay for their own fares they got to some of these players have to pay their own way to be able to to get over here you know and they've got to take a massive pay cut some of them uh they're you know depending on what time of the season it is in the northern hemisphere uh they can risk losing their contract. And they're doing that to come over to this part of the world and, and play uh, for their team with, with quite a large chance that they'll lose. You know, Maybe not by 100 points. The, the, the Dongin captain flew in from, um, from Europe to lead that team, you know, knowing that it was going to be bad, probably not that bad. And that's, that's what the players are facing is there's a lack of time to come together. Samoa goes to uh, Europe for the Northern Test. Fiji goes up to Europe for the Northern Test. They can't bring their 100% strength team because the finances aren't there to take one. So they got to pull in players who are good, but not their top team from around Europe. And it's that kind of discrepancy. If, if New Zealand or Australia were having those kind of troubles, it would be, you know, six o'clock, story number one. You know, something has to be done. We have to fix this. But for all of that, then you look at players who are first generation, second generation, and they end up playing for those teams. So now you've got Pacific Islanders. Eight out of the top 10 teams in the world uh, have Pacific Islanders playing in their squads, have players in their squads who could play for the Pacific Islanders. But Samoa's ranked 11th. Uh, Fiji is ranked 14th. And Donga is ranked 15th. So the three big Pacific nations aren't even in the top 10. But the top 10, eight of their teams have players who could play. 
So that's that's the kind of mental issues uh, also there. How important is Super Rugby Pacific and the the rise of Moana Pacifica of Andrua for I guess where we are now and where we're heading with um, Pacific Rugby? I think what's been a real game changer is with the Andrua and uh, Moana Pacifica is it allows for high level club competition that feeds directly into the national squads because that is actually a big part of why top Pacific players were going not to New Zealand or Australia but you know some to Japan but many to France to England is they needed you know good paying um, high quality competition to maintain their skills but also to feed their family help out the village because in Pacifica your income is never just once you once you're over a certain income bracket it's never just for your household that's just the way our people are. Um, and that's a pressure a lot of non-Pacific people don't understand as well. So Moana Pacifica in Drua, it allows for both a, a growth from grass level straight into the national team. And it allows for a consistency of players being able to play together. So a, a lot of um, the Moana Pacifica players will end up in the Samoa, the Tonga team. And Drua, of course, goes into the Fiji team. And they've got those hours um, of being able to play together, which leads to you know these amazing combinations you see uh, in running plays um, in being able to play cover defense and you know the player next to you you 're not just showing up and you get a week of preparation with some dude who you 've kind of met before you know and these are the the small things which the all blacks have a massive advantage of because all their players playing super rugby all the time, seeing each other, playing each other, knowing each other, and the same with Australia, South Africa, and of course. England and France. You're obviously very passionate about this subject. Um, what do you hope this podcast series brings to the conversation? Well, I'm not a rugby player. I never have been. So it's not really a passion for rugby that I bring to the show. And, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of our people. Um, so my cousins have played rugby um, and, and, and done well, as many listeners' cousins will have done. I, I care about the impact that that's having on our players and, and our people. And I hope that it brings both a, um, an understanding from Pacific communities uh, about the realities of what our players are, are going through in terms of what's stacked against them, you know, how little power they have. So we're more supporting of them as they try and, and, and get stronger. And I think for non-Pacific um, listeners, um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm mixed race. So my, my, my mother is from um, Wales, a very passionate rugby country as well. Um, I know that they love watching Pacific players because Pacific rugby is joyful rugby. It's, it's passionate rugby. It's, it's, you know, Fijians. Fijians will destroy you on a rugby field and smile at you at the same time. It's very unnerving. <laughs> Bongans never smile when they're destroying you, but will have a very good laugh and Samoans keep singing. You know, we, we all have our own joyful way of playing and that's infectious for world rugby. So what I hope for them is that they can finally see, hey, these guys who you love watching in your domestic competition, who you cheer for as underdogs at the World Cup, this is how hard it is for them to get here. This is what they're facing. And if you care about that, then lobby your people in your rugby union, whether it's France or England, Ireland, Scotland, Italy, and get them help. Thank you, Tomas. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to listening and um 
again, uh, probably just telling people where they can listen to these um, podcasts over the next few weeks. Well, if, if you want to hear these stories and find out, um, you know, what's going on with Pacific Rugby, you can find it on Radio New Zealand. Um, uh, we've been very lucky to partner with the Pacific Media Network as well. Um, and then Apple Podcasts and, and wherever you normally find podcasts. Fair game. Check it out. Thank you so much.